0: Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning, and thanks for joining online. For those of you who are joining online today, we kick off this series called Losing My Religion, and as Cynthia said earlier, don't be afraid. Um, So uh, don't be afraid uh, because of the title, don't be afraid because I'm not going to sing the song. Don't worry. All right, but how many of you do remember that song by R.E.M.? Came out my senior year in high school, 1991, or as my kids say, the 1900s. Um, and uh, I was living in Atlanta, I graduated uh, from a uh, school in Atlanta. And REM was one of the great groups that came out of the Athens Music Group in Athens, Georgia. Go Dogs. Anyway, all right, all one of you. Uh, I know there's more of you. We're just silent these days. So, anyway. Uh, But uh, R.E.M. and Michael Stipe, uh, he wrote this song as a great lyricist. It ended up being their uh, top song, and uh, it ended up being number four on uh, the Billboard Top 100. Um, And over the years, nowadays, we we hear the song on a playlist of great groups of the 90s and 80s, (laughs) Um, or we might hear it in the mall occasionally. So anyway, as you walk around um, in the stores. And it's interesting because I always thought, I think we all always thought that perhaps Michael Stipe wrote that song, Losing My Religion, um, to talk about how um, maybe he fell away from God and maybe how he felt like as he fell away from God that God kind of fell away from him. Um, But in multiple interviews over the years, he's talked about the fact that this was not a song about his religious upbringing or his fall from grace or anything like that. He says it this way, he says, It's a love song. It's a song about an unrequited love, about the love expressed to someone else and the pain and frustration that happens when it's not returned. What an interesting metaphor, huh? And he says he used that phrase, losing my religion, because growing up in the South, it it was a very common phrase to kind of communicate how when we do fall away from God, maybe we feel like God kind of like, you know, crosses us off the list, or maybe we cross God off the list when we choose to not follow him. And the idea down in the south here on this idea of losing my religion is is really a phrase that kind of describes how um, we may feel um, like God doesn't love us if we don't live up to perfection, if we fail to follow him perfectly. And I know that some bristle when I use the phrase or say this statement, make the statement that we as a church, we believe that this thing that we call faith in Jesus Christ is not a religion. A lot of people bristle at that, and I understand why. But I want you to hear the next part of the statement. We say that it's not a religion. It is a relationship through God's Son, with God's Son, Jesus, the one who came to die for us. And so it's so much different than a religion. In fact, N.T. Wright, as he writes about Paul, the Apostle Paul, and his writing on the Apostle Paul is exhaustive, he always puts the word religion when he talks about it that way in quotes because he wants us to capture that our faith walk should not be something that is religious. It ought to be something that it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what this series is all about. We're gonna be spending eight weeks in this series. And what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be taking a look at how, you know, Jesus was so disruptive for religious people in his day, um, because he challenged them to move away from perfectly obeying the law to a place where they found their relationship in him through their heart, much deeper than just following a bunch of rules. He changed the game, and in fact, he commissioned his followers to do the same, and they began to, or they continued to spread the same message. And then all of a sudden, there came this religious man by the name of Saul, who we now call Paul, and we're going to get to that story over the next two weeks. But this man named Saul was intent on snuffing out this idea of relationship because he wanted religion to be all about rules. He wanted it to be just that. And so his name was Saul. And over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at what it means to lose our religion and walk in a relationship with Jesus through the eyes of one who had the most to lose in losing his religion. And that's the apostle Paul, whose name today is going to be Saul. Now, I'm going to tell you, as I'm going to be talking about this today, I may refer to him as Paul because we often do that. But today we're going to be taking a look at what happened before he met Jesus and how he strove for perfection in his life, this man named Saul. Before we do that, I'm going to ask Rob Minton to come on up here. Um, Rob is a good friend and has served in a variety of capacities here at this church over the last, uh, man, decade. Have you guys been here a decade? 10 years? Yeah, 2010. That would be a decade, man. Why don't you give it up for Rob Minton? Good
1: morning, church. Good morning.
0: Rob has served. um, He was our first uh, student pastor. So God bless you, man. Thank you so much uh, for being there in the early days and and helping us out in those early days. He, previous to um, moving to Hilton Head, was um, in the ministry and was a student pastor in Texas and um, grew up in Augusta, Georgia. And he's also a fellow Georgia Bulldogs fan, so I go am. dogs, man, go dogs! I didn't hear you loud enough earlier when I, I, I said that, but that's right. Um, Rob, you've served as an elder here, I think, two different terms as elder, student okay. pastor. Um, um, you and Tara and the kids, um, you guys serve in a variety of areas. You've had a huge impact, I know, on my kids because you serve back in Ignite with our sure. with our yes. kids, with our middle school kids, um, in that very difficult um, uh, age, honestly, and it great. really is, and, and have been doing that faithfully, year in and year out, and I'm so thankful for all that you're doing. But your your religious upbringing and your religious background is a lot different than kind of how it's defined here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and tell us a little bit about your, your um, kind of... Um, entry into the faith um, and then how that became something that's much different than what we see today.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, re- I received Christ in 1997 in a very uh, religious, real strict uh, denomination, sect, whatever you want to call it. I had a godly grandmother and a godly aunt that prayed for me. I lived a pretty normal, uh, rebellious teenage life like most teenagers are. So that's the one that go to Hilton Head Allen Community Church. Yeah, except for those. Um, yeah. <laughs> In our, in our youth group. You know, um, yeah. And so, uh, yes, uh, my grandmother and my aunt, they prayed for me. And uh, in 1997, I was 20 years old. Um, I received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And like I said, the denomination or the, uh, the religion, it was very strict. And it was um, the outward appearance, so to speak, um, determined your spirituality. So um, when you receive Jesus as your Savior... If you kept all the rules and all the regulations and you, you did everything just right, you were a spiritual person, and uh, that's kind of the, the background or the upbringing that I came into once I became a Christian. Hmm. And um, just for instance, the, uh, the type of clothes you wore or uh, um, coffee in church was not allowed. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Cynthia. uh, That type of stuff, and and you guys, I'm sure there's many people here this morning, or will be at the second service, that grew up in that kind of uh, um, religion or that kind Mm. of uh, lifestyle, and it it was very different than what we have uh, here today. Um, Some for the bad, others uh, really helped in uh, the grounding of my faith. So. Um, what Todd is speaking about with, with Saul, it is that religion can get in the way really of a, a close, genuine relationship with Jesus if we don't watch it. Hmm.
0: That's right. Tell, tell me about your faith walk. So you just said it, and I appreciate your honesty on that. Like there were some good things, some foundational things that you learned. I'm sure about the Word, um, about God's Word to us, um, about uh, your, the doctrine, what we believe, and theology. Um, but what about your own personal journey? Were you growing with Christ? Were you growing towards Him or away from Him or stagnant? Uh, the
1: the problem is the problem was uh, our perspective of God is everything. When we have the right perspective of God, we grow with God. Hmm. When we don't have the right perspective of God, it stunts the growth. Because we love Him, why? Because He first loved us. Right. It's just a reaction right. to His love for us. And so when we're not keeping, when we're falling short of all these rules and regulations that, the relig- uh, that our religious denomination or whatever, who puts it on us, then that means we feel like we have this false guilt that we're carrying, and we feel like God's always mad at us, mm. and so mm. it puts that wedge in between us mm. and saying, "You know what? I can never. You know, I'm always striving, but I can never please God." Mm. Um, I, so, in essence, um, it looks like on the exterior that we are spiritual and we are doing really, we are really doing good, but we're not growing in our walk mm. with Christ. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah and good. so perspective is everything. If we that's see right. God in the right way, and mm. I'm always praying this for me and my wife and kids, God, give me the right glimpse of you. Mm. I want to know who you are. I want to make sure that my love's transisting to you because you first loved me. I want to love you back and give you mm. the love you deserve. Man, man. So you, you've changed, obviously, like
0: what you, just for instance, what you wore to church was a big deal, I'm guessing, like, this was probably not the thing that I probably should have dressed up this morning. I apologize.
1: I do apologize. We'll
0: my grandmother
1: you. and my mother will be very disappointed this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do apologize. I can but, remember, just for instance, one day man. we grew up in the South, and we grew up in, you know, it's hot in Georgia. <laughs> and so, I had just got saved, and, um, and I, and I said, you know, I was just learning once you're a Christian, you need to go to church. And so I know that's not a big revelation to y'all, but where I come from, it was, you know, now since you're a Christian, you probably need to go to church, so uh, that's just the right thing to do. And I and I was, I think I was at the lake hanging out or something, and I realized it was Wednesday night, and if I was going to be a good Christian, I was going to Wednesday night prayer meeting. And at the lake, you know, you don't dress in church attire, so... <laughs> I come from the lake and I come right in it's a major sanctuary this is a huge auditorium cathedral type place and I, you can imagine uh you know a young teenager's been hanging out with his homies <laughs> and, at, at, at 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 the lake and I come in I walk right up to my grandmother and she's and I had I don't know Daisy Dukes I I had short <laughs> I I had a, I had some some short stuff on and I can still remember to this day my grandmother was just blown away. <laughs> I cannot believe you wore shorts into the house of God, and then, and I looked. I had no idea what I had done wrong. I just, I, but that was one of the things. And you know, she loved me so she she let me sit with her, and <laughs> and, and you know, but you awesome. know, you can imagine all everybody uh-huh. around looking, wow. <laughs> that's that's Nell's grandson. <laughs> <laughs> him. You know, God wow. bless him. You know, everybody that went to the altar mm. that day probably prayed for me. But <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, But man, those I love it. those type th- th- those type of things, you know, to, to be so called look spiritual, you know, you had to do A, B, or mm. C, which uh, were a, was a lot of outward uh, performance, exterior type mm. stuff.
0: So tell me what happened. How did you how did you shift in your in your heart and in your mind um, from from this rules performance almost perfection type based faith walk to a place that was truly a relationship with Jesus?
1: Uh, well, it was just a process, a transition of really uh, seeking and you know knocking and asking as the Bible says. You know what does, what's God's best for me? Uh, there's no cookie cutter Christians. You know, my plan is not your plan. It's what mm. God has for you and what God has for me. And so it was just a process of, um, you know, asking God, what does this Christian thing look mm. like? And, and a process of being frustrated, too. Mm. You know, um, is this me? Is this what God wants? And, um, you know, looking in Scripture, how how does this, how does God's word apply to me and uh seeking counsel and advice from different pastors and different um uh you know college professors I went to a christian college and so it was uh it was just it was a process of of developing i guess god's perspective of God how do you see things not how does this denomination or how does this church see things it's god how do you see things and what what do you want for me and uh Because I want to please you. If it's A, B, or C, that's Mm. what I want to do. And it became more of a a relationship. Mm. No matter what other people thought, it Mm. was what what is God's best for me. That's good stuff, dude.
0: Man, I'm so thankful for you. And, and man, my goal uh, for, me, for you to hear from Rob is, is not to, to down any other church or denomination or to not talk bad about that, but to, to give you a picture of maybe what we're going to be dealing with and some of the issues that we're going to be dealing with over these um, next few weeks. And Rob, I'm so thankful. As you told me years ago, man, God saved me from a perfection based religion and brought me into a relationship with Jesus. And I'm so glad, man, because there's no one that's prayed for our church um, as much as you have and been involved in in what's going on here as much as you have. And, man, I'm thankful. Why don't you give it up this morning for Rob? Thanks, man, for sharing that. You can take it back with you. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thank you, Rob, man. I appreciate that. If you have your Bibles today, you can turn to Acts chapter 5, man, um, as we take a look at this guy by the name of Saul, and again, forgive me if I call him Paul today, it's just habit because we want to talk about who he was after he met Jesus, and um, so we're going to be in this series talking about very specific issues, um, things that um, Paul dealt with and then wrote letters to the church about that kind of helped them to undo their religion. Now, I just want to stop for a second here and talk about this, because I think that sometimes we may think like in our church culture um, that like we've kind of got this down. We may have some of these things down. Um, But as we often do in those things that are maybe rooted down deep within us, when we are faced with something, we kind of, as my wife likes to say, we run home to mama. As Cynthia says, we run home to mama on some of these things. And I think that we God may reveal, I know he's already revealed this to me in in planning this message series. It's been in the works for a few months um, that I've got some stuff rooted in me that I go back to that's religious instead of going back to the relationship with Jesus Christ. And so through the lens of Paul,
1: some of you that love word are going to love this series because we're going to be taking a look at
0: the life of Paul using his glasses, his lens, if you will, to talk about some of these issues that he later wrote about. Now, Paul is interesting. He was born sometime between 1 and 5 AD. He was born in this region of what we call now Turkey called Cilicia, um, and, and he came from the Benjamin line of Hebrew ancestry. As it says later, he was a Jew of Jews. He was steeped in the Jewish faith. His parents were Pharisees, fervent Jewish nationalists who adhered strictly to the law of Moses and sought to protect their children from contamination of the Gentiles. And So you can see how Jesus' message might have threatened that or began to threaten that. Anything um, that was Greek in background would have been despised in Paul's home. But he spoke Greek, and he possibly spoke Latin. His household would have absolutely spoke, spoken Aramaic, um, which is a derivative of Hebrew, and it was the official language of, of, um, of Judea. Um, Saul's family happened to be Roman citizens which I want you to remember that as we walk through his life over these next few weeks because that plays an important part in his job and in his role in the future. Um, his his uh, family were Roman citizens, but they also viewed Jerusalem as, as the truly sacred holy city. At age 13, Paul was sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel, under whom Saul mastered Jewish history. He, he, he mastered the Psalms and the work of the prophets. His education continued for five or six years from that point on. And it was during this time that he, he kind of developed this question-and-answer t- uh, style of, of teaching um, known as diatribe in that day and age. It was um, really helpful for Jewish rabbis and people who were growing up in the Jewish faith to become leaders of what he eventually became a leader of, and that, or uh, part of, and that's the Sanhedrin. I'll talk about that in a moment. Now, he went on to be a lawyer And all signs pointed to his becoming a member of the Sanhedrin, which is a supreme court, if you will. 71 men who ruled over Jewish life and religion. Saul was zealous. He was zealous. I I want you to think about the upbringing that you had in your life, the home that you grew up in, the environment you grew up in, the culture that you grew up in. It has an impact on your life. I would suggest that it still has an impact today on your life, and it did for Paul. The environment that he grew up in, was, which was Jewish, he was a Benjamin. he was a Pharisee, a lawyer, a member of the Sanhedrin. Saul's, listen, I want you to hear this. It's the first point today. Saul's foundation was poured with a mix and many of the elements that led to religious extremism. Paul was essentially a, a modern day religious extremist. That's where he went, and we're going to take a look at his reign of terror, if you will, this morning, briefly, but I want you to capture a story that happens in Paul's life. He's through the learning phase. He's through the academic phase of his life. He's now a member of the Sanhedrin, that group of Supreme Court who um, were, were the group of people, a group of men who ruled over certain situations that kind of kept Jewish law. If you got in serious enough trouble, you'd have to appear before them. And a, so he's sitting in the room. He was in the room the day that the first Christians had to appear before the Sanhedrin for their second arrest in a short period of time. It's recorded in Acts 3, 4, and 5, those several series of arrests. And so they come before the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, and, and, and Peter stands up and makes a defense of why they were preaching this kind of new version of Judaism. He gave a defense of why they were following this man by the name, or were following the, 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 the new message of this man who, remember, had died on a cross, rose again three days later by the name of Jesus. And his defense essentially was this. We obey God, not man. I don't know if you've ever been in court, and you're standing up before the judge, but that kind of defense gets you nowhere. I don't follow you. I follow God. And take a look at Acts chapter five, 33 and 34. When they heard this, the Sanhedrin, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. I love how it's them. It's like the whole lot of them But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Have you ever been in a contentious meeting and someone says, probably a good idea, we take a break. Gamaliel, this man who was just honored and respected, who was a Jewish leader, he was one of the Sanhedrin, stood up and he says, I think it's time for us to take a break. And he tells the rest of the members of the Sanhedrin, one of whom was Saul, hey, in the past, when we've put people to death, hasn't worked out very well for us. And he goes on to give several examples. And so Gamaliel, in verse 38, or, or, or he says to them um, that, that we ought to consider a different way. Check this out in 38 through 42. So in the present case, Gamaliel says, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they had called in the apostles, they brought them back in, they only beat them. Wow. Puts our faith walk in perspective, right? The little persecution things that we might get at work or at school kind of puts it in perspective. That the out for them, the better scenario for them, was being beaten. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left their presence at the council, rejoicing. Rejoicing. That's a whole other message here. you got to be kidding me, right? You've just been beaten and you're rejoicing? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So I want you to capture this picture from this man whose name was Saul. And we're going to look at his reign of terror for a moment and then draw some conclusions this morning. But I want you to consider this, that when Gamaliel stepped up and spoke these words of reason, when he, stepped, when he stood up and he said to the rest of the council, let's be careful because we're dealing with God. And if this is God's will, we will not be able to stop it. Paul was in the room. This had been his teacher. This was the man that he learned from, that he grew in his journey with God from. And so Paul, Saul, excuse me, had this moment in time where he could have followed this way of being a good Jew. But he in his life decided that he wanted to follow the way of perfection. You see, Paul, Saul's primary purpose was religious perfection. So Saul, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but he decided to follow the way of perfection rather than the one of reason, which is so interesting because he would have understood reason. He decided distinctly to move away from Gamaliel and follow the way of perfection. We often think of Saul's actions that we're going to take a look at here in a moment as something that is as far from imperfect as we can imagine But in reality, what we're about ready to read is the ultimate act of religious perfection. He went on to this reign of terror that began really with the stoning of Stephen, this one who was one of the members of the first church. And in Acts chapter 7, check this out, we see him there when Stephen is stoned. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they came. Um, then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named, who is this? Saul. There he is right there at the stoning of Stephen. This zealot, this Pharisee, this one who had all the ingredients of religious extremism. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Once again, a whole message on forgiveness right there. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. God did some amazing things, but Saul was right. He was the one who who approved of this. And in fact, in Acts 8, check this out, Saul and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. I love how when we divided the Bible up, we put that as in chapter 8. It almost feels like it should go right there at the end of chapter 7, right? But it doesn't because the story continues. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, I want you to capture this, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And if we move down to chapter 9, we read this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples... Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for him letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christians were called. We weren't weren't called Christians until a lot of years later. We were called followers of the way in the first century, men and women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so we get a glimpse here of this man before he met Jesus. And we're going to talk about his meeting Jesus over the next two weeks. But before he met Jesus, this man was a picture of what we today would call what? A terrorist. That's what he was. Saul of Tarsus was a religious extremist who ordered the widespread killing of Christ followers. Saul was a terrorist. Saul was a terrorist. His primary path to achieve that religious perfection um, was religious extremism. He believed, and probably really honestly like believed in his heart of hearts, that he was doing the right thing because by following the law perfectly, it meant stomping out or stamping out or, or, or squashing anything that would rise up against Judaism. In so many ways, he was the perfect religious Jewish man. But his path of religious extremism leads to, and in fact, led to death. And today, I want you to hear that that's where the distinction lies in Christianity when you put it next to religion. You see, the pursuit of religious perfection always leads to spiritual death. In the case of those first Christians, the group of people that were trying to strive for religious perfectionism in Judaism it led to their physical death, the pursuit of religious perfection, kind of some of the things that Rob talked about earlier, those kind of things taken to their extreme end lead to spiritual death. But what Paul finds out, what Saul finds out and becomes Paul is, is that the pursuit of a real relationship with Jesus always leads to spiritual life. It always leads to spiritual life. See, we, we view religion and we try to apply all of these rules so many of them that Jesus came to bring completion to. We're going to get into some of those very specific things that Paul wrote to the churches about in those rules that kind of switch from religion to relationship and what they mean to us in the 21st century. We're 20 years in and I still keep saying the 20th century sometimes, sorry. <laughs> but the fact is, is that we still liked the checklist. It makes us feel good, doesn't it? We still like the list. It's easy. It's easy. We look around and we judge others because they don't meet the list. They wear the wrong thing or they fail to wear the right thing or they eat or drink the wrong thing and fail to eat or drink the right thing or perhaps they're just not like religious enough or right enough. And all of those judgments, and by the way, we don't do it just to others, we do it to ourselves. It leads to death. Listen, religion leads to death. Religion leads to death, but relationship leads to life. In church, in our church culture, in this kind of like form, I guess, of Christianity, we are all about relationship. We are not about religion. Jesus was not about religion. He was about relationship. John ten ten says that Jesus said the thief, it's recorded, the thief comes only to stay, steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that they may have, what's that next word? life and life abundantly that's what jesus came to bring you and if you're here today and you're stunted in your spiritual life like we all have been like i have been if you are struggling to understand this thing called christianity if you feel judged by christians if you feel like maybe people look at you like you're a hypocrite or maybe you feel hypocritical or if you have self-doubt or shame or guilt or you're striving for some kind of perfection so that you can brag about how great of a Christian you are. I think this message series is going to be eye-opening and life-breathing for you. Or maybe for you it's just the run home to mom of maybe fearing God. That's why you don't have a relationship with them, Or obsessive thinking about your weaknesses or others' weaknesses. See, it's all of that stuff that Jesus came to die for. Religion, in its most perfect form, requires a radical, zealous, and perfect commitment to the religious stuff that Jesus came to die for. And for some of you today, it's time to stop pursuing religion and start pursuing a relationship with Jesus, the one who came to give life and life abundantly. And that leads you to a place of righteous living, like like Rob said, because you're following the one who gave you salvation. We love him. What did Rob say? What does the Bible say? Because he first loved us. I want to leave you with a couple questions. How, How has your pursuit of some form of religious perfectionism produced spiritual death in your life? I guarantee you at some point in time it has. Maybe it has even right now. Maybe you've been closed off to God in your heart of hearts because you felt like you just had to check the boxes, know the right verses, understand the right theology, do the right thing, behave the right way. How many of you, in your your pursuit of religious perfection, it produced death not just in you, but maybe in others? Maybe your view of others because of what you thought religion was all about. Cause them to walk away from God. It happens every single day. For some of you, this whole series is going to be about stopping the perfect life, putting down any kind of idea that you have, preconceived idea that you have, that. Following Jesus is all about perfection because I want you to hear today that there's nothing that's further from the truth. What Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to follow him personally because that's why he came to die, to have a real, alive, true relationship with with us. And shouldn't we be thankful for that thing more than anything else, that our faith is not one that's stoic. It's not one that's just cerebral. It is something that is intensely personal. And I am so thankful to God that we have a God that is personal. Father, I thank you so much that you came to die For many of these things that we think in our minds that we have to somehow be perfect at following. And one of the ones that was most perfect in this man by the name of Saul ended up in his life murdering Christians by the dozens and perhaps hundreds because Taken to that extreme, religion always leads to death. But God, I thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to give us life and to give us life abundantly. God, over these next few weeks, we're going to get into some of these specifics, some of these issues that, that you inspired. This guy named Saul, who, as we'll look at next week, turned to Paul, wrote to the church about he wanted to undo their religion. He wanted to, to help them understand that following rules is, is just stoic, it's just cerebral, it's it's just pride. But following you, the one who came to give us life, is what it's all about. That's why you came to die. You came to die for us. You care about us individually. You love us individually. You forgave us individually. And God, I pray for Christians all around this room. I pray for Christ followers in this place and listening online. God, I pray that you would awaken us to any root of religion that we have in our hearts, God. I pray that you would help us to understand that there's freedom in Christ, that there's freedom in following righteousness because that's what you followed. And God, if we model ourselves after you, we're going to look like you. We're going to be like you. God, help us to be pulled out of that. Help any root of of religion that we may have that, that seeks to kill and destroy and murder. God, I pray that you would weed that out. Give each of us a spirit of life and abundance that you came to give us. God, would your Holy Spirit work in my life? Would your Holy Spirit work in the lives of your people? And God, I pray for those who come into this place over these next few weeks who may not know you as their Savior. God, I pray that they might choose a personal relationship with you, that they might accept you as their Savior. God, I pray that you would just spur us on in our journey with you, this personal faith journey that is alive. And we thank you. For that living faith that you gave us in Jesus name.
1: I pray. And all God's people said, amen.